0: Would you please pray with me? Most gracious God, we just come to you now. I pray, dear God, that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, give you the honor, you the glory. Holy Spirit, come now and move through this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's been said that the pain of losing $20 is greater than the joy of having it in your pocket. Has that ever happened to you? You know, you had a 5 or a $10 bill in your pocket, and as you laid it down on the table or you laid it on the bathroom cabinet, you just couldn't find it then, so you turned the whole house upside down looking for it. You move the, the cushions and you, you look on the floor and you look underneath the oven. Did it get shoved underneath the oven? You look, look all around and you just can't find it. I know it's happened to me. I also know it's happened with me with cheerleading uniforms and special school t-shirts and um, mouthpieces for football helmets and all these kinds of things that we just tear the house apart looking for. And you don't even realize that it's missing until it's gone and you really, really need it. Well, that's even more so in the case of relationships. So we're going to begin today in, in the book of Luke, chapter 15. If you want to get your Bibles out and, and turn to the New Testament, to a great passage of Scripture that is known to us as the prodigal son. It is Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. We're following along reading this today. This was the beginning uh, Bible verses for Vacation Bible School. And so Pastor Matt and I have talked and, and discussed that, and, and we're, we're celebrating Vacation Bible School with this theme. On the bulletin, it says, uh, camp, Compassion Camp at the Table. I am going a little bit of a different route with the lost and found. But hear these words. Chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus said, A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There, he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fatted calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, What was going on? The servants replied, Your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because the brothers of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What would you do if you lost a prized possession There was this man, a special, special, celebrated classical celloist named Yo-Yo Ma, and he had just finished an exhilarating performance at New York's Carnegie Hall, and he went home. He slept, and he was tired, and he woke the next morning still exhausted, but rushed. He called for a cab to take him to a hotel on the other side of Manhattan, and placed his cello, this very, very special cello that was handcrafted in 1733 in Vienna, worth two and a half million dollars, he put it in the trunk of a taxi. When he reached his destination, he paid the driver and forgot to take his cello and run inside. After the cab disappeared, he realized what he had done. He began a desperate, desperate search for this missing instrument. Fortunately, he had the receipt with the cabbie's ID number on it. And before the day ended, the taxi was located in a garage in Queens with the priceless cello still in the trunk. Ma's smile could not be contained as he spoke to reporters and his performance in Brooklyn that evening was planned went off without a hitch. He thought he had lost something so near and dear to him that he would not be able to recover. If it's true materialistically to be lost and found in the joy that is held, it's even more so with broken relationships. And at the end of this service today, the big thing thing that I want you to know is that when it comes to relationships no one can find what you have lost better than Jesus. And the reason why is because well, one of the most beautiful things about Jesus is that in his heart is the desire to recover and to restore what has been lost. So this scripture today is about a broken and lost relationship and how it was restored. You see, the beginning of this story in verse 11, we find in the context here, Jesus is telling the parable or the story to illustrate a deeper truth about family and about relationships. All throughout the Bible, we see this common thread of conflict between an older brother and a younger brother, an older sibling and a younger sibling. You see Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Esau and Jacob, we see this repeated and then most recently in the New Testament between the children of Israel and the Gentile nation. We see this theme repeated over and over. Well, in this culture, Jesus is speaking in the Jewish context. The Jewish society had very, very specific laws to how the inheritance was divided. They didn't have estate attorneys back then, but they had laws set in place and if you were a family that had two sons, the older brother would get two-thirds, and the younger brother would get a third. So the older brother got double the share, period. Now in verse 12, we see that the younger brother comes up to his father, and he demands his third. Essentially, he says to the father this, and it's something, it's something that maybe before we judge this younger brother— we might want to take a moment and ask, have I ever said this to the Lord? And that's this. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. You know, we often communicate this to the Lord when we do things first, then invite the Lord into our plan. And then the word tells us that the man makes the plans, but God directs his steps. When we feel to go to God and say, Lord, what do I do with this relationship? Or, God, which job do I take? Or, in this current context, God, should I send my kids to school, or do I keep them at home and try to figure out how to do virtual learning? whatever it is, when we fail to do, what we communicate to God is that what we are saying is, I want your stuff, but I don't want anything to do with you. So the younger brother communicates this to the father, and it's incredibly insulting. I am sure that the father was appalled, and I'm sure that his feelings were hurt. Yet, he gives it. He gives his share to his son, Notice whose hearts we're starting to see illustrated in this parable. Do you see your own heart in the younger brother? Do you see God's heart in the heart of the father? The father, even though his love is unreturned, he still gives. Really speaks. It really speaks to our God. So in verse 13, the son gathers his belongings and he goes far, far, far away far away as possible. Don't we isolate ourselves when we are running? Don't we isolate when we want our way? When you start to recognize that you isolate yourself from people around you that love the Lord, from your family members and your friends who encourage you to remain close to God, you need to start, you need to start asking your question and asking your motive who, who is directing your steps? So moving on, the son spends all his money, and he loses all his friends. Notice that the hunger came or he ran, or he ran out once the famine had, had arrived. The son walks through four humiliations before his father before uh, he comes to his senses. So number one humiliation is he's reduced to a state of hunger, a hunger he had never, ever known before. In his father's house, as long as he was walking with his father, he had never known hunger. But the minute he withdrew from him, he had realized what hunger was. Number two, this is something that is humiliating I would think not just to him, but to all of us would be, is to start to work with the pigs, to be in the pig farm with them, which in the Jewish context would never, ever happen. They were unclean animal, but he placed himself there. Number three, humiliation. He was hungry. He longed to eat what the pigs were eating. He longed for even just what they were getting. How humiliating From a person from his stature to not even get to eat what the pigs were eating. Number four, nobody gave him anything. Nobody shared with him. He was totally alone. Nobody was willing to help him. Sure, his friends were there to take and spend, but the moment the money ran out and the famine came, his friends were long gone. How many of us have been in that position? Hanging out with people, making bad choices, and when trouble hits, the people are gone, and we are left standing, wondering, "Where are those people that I was with?" So here comes a point I want to make, in verse seventeen. The point is that change is a choice that we seldom choose. Change is a choice that we seldom choose. Notice that some time had lapsed for the son. He had partied it up. He had had a great time. He had lots of friends, and then the famine came. He became very hungry, but he continued to stay. Some time had elapsed, and the sun still didn't change. Why? Someone said it this way. Until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, change will not happen. That is why we don't choose change because we are unwilling to change only until the moment when we say, man, if I stick this out any longer in this relationship, if I keep doing this, it's actually going to be more painful than cutting the things out, than cutting the tie. So people don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. So the sun had to go and hit rock bottom. He had a rock bottom experience. And that was forced him to change. The Bible said he came to his senses and he had realized, wait a minute, back home, everyone eats a lot better than this. Wait a minute, people are treated a lot better than I am right now. People are accepted a lot better than I am right now. And he came to his senses and he said, I'm going home. This is something. As a mother, I pray for my children. You know, I can't force my kids, the, the, the three of them, to walk with the Lord. I can lay examples, and I can pray for them, but we can never ensure that our children, our friends, and family, that they follow Jesus. But what we can hope and pray for is that if, if when they depart, like the prodigal son... They come to their senses and say, wait a minute, why am I here? I can be back where I was walking with the Lord. You know, for many years, some of you know that I had some severe health issues and I had some severe problems with my um, hernia. I had a terrible hernia that would put me in bed. Um, before I had my weight loss surgery, I was a, it was a constant battle. And it got to the point where even Pastor Matt and Barbie could see it on my face and know that I would just have to leave and go lie down. And so I thought, and I thought, and I worked, and I worked at this, and I ignored it for so many years until finally I went to the hospital. I saw several different doctors, and they said, you're going to have to have surgery, but you got to have weight loss surgery first. I thought, two surgeries? No way, I'm pretty healthy, I feel pretty good, I just had this bad pain, I'm not doing this. So it continued on and continued on until finally, I thought, I deserve a better quality of life than this. God has big plans, but God can't make the plans happen because I'm ignoring it. I had to make that change. So 150 pounds later, lost, the hernia is repaired, and I feel better than I have In many 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 years and I thank God for that. The pain was so excruciating but I continued to ignore it, continued to fight it until the pain became greater and I had to accept that change. We seldom choose change until the pain of staying the same is just more painful than the pain of change. And so the son got to that point and he moved on. The son had a plan. He had come to his senses and he was going to get up, and he was going to go to his father's house and tell his father that he was sorry. He was going to beg him to just let him be with the servants. He was, he, he was practicing all the way home as he was walking. I can see this. Oh, God, okay, okay, help me do this. Help me do this. Let's figure this out. Dad, I'm sorry. I've spent all the money. I don't want anything. Please let me just be with the servants. I will work really hard day in and day out. I'm so sorry. He got up and he makes the change. So the son gets to walking. Now, being a parent and knowing that my child has left, I am sure for many days the father has been looking off in a distance, watching and waiting and hoping and praying that his son would come home. So once again, the father is looking off in the distance, and this day, lo and behold, he sees his beloved son Way off in the distance walking. You know how you can tell when your child's walk. You can, you can see the way they look. Maybe the way the wind blows their hair. You know it is your child. And the father takes off running. He doesn't wait for him to come to him. He is running down this long dirt road, waving his hands, I'm sure, running towards him. He knows his son has come back. Before his son could finish the apology and talk about being one of his hired servants, his father interrupts him and says, hurry, hurry, let's celebrate. Go get a robe for him. Hurry, go get get some new sandals for him. Hurry, kill the fatted calf. Hurry, put the sandals on his feet. Get a ring on his finger. My son has come home. Now the question I have about all this is, who do you think is paying for all of this? I mean, it's not coming out of the son's budget. It's been blown. So where's it coming out of? Oh, wait. Now that's not fair. How come he gets to throw a party? How fair is that? It's fair because the older brother has to give up his inheritance so that the younger brother can be included in the family. Who does that remind you of? Isn't that the Lord's heart? Isn't that what Jesus did, is that our inheritance is wasted? We inherit what Jesus did for us on the cross. He gave up his share so that we could live. So the elder brother sees far from off what is going on, and he's not happy. He calls one of the servants and says, what's going on in there? And he then gets pretty upset and begins to pout. He's really mad. He is no way going to that party. How dare his father welcome him home? How do we respond? Sometimes, like the older brother, don't we? When do we have a jealous heart toward others that are in need? Think about this for a minute. Of course, the father goes to him. I want you to think about this. As the guy's pacing back and forth, the father says, Everything I have is yours. I want you to come inside. We must celebrate he was lost and he's found. We are so blessed beyond measure. He has nothing to give, but we have so much to offer. The father continues talking to his older son. Everything I have is yours. Come on. You are my beloved oldest son, but we must celebrate he has come home. Isn't that the way we should respond? It's not to pay Jesus back for the good Jesus has done in our lives, but to respond to Jesus' goodness through acts of kindness and love. I heard this great, great line that I have to to share with you. We don't do work for the cross. We do work because of the cross. Another point to make here is that God's grace is free to all. What is good for one is good for another. You know, it's like sometimes um, when you hear these people that got a promotion and instead of you... And you think, well, I should have got that one. I should have got that promotion. But when you get that promotion instead of a co-worker, you think, well, I worked so hard for it. I should deserve that promotion. We charge people what we get for free. Grace is free for all. In Sarah Bessie's book, Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, she talks about a time in her life when she was suffering with physical and emotional pain. And and she felt like her relationship was broken with her God, that it was lost. And she writes this in her book. When we have suffered, when we have been bruised and scarred, when, we are, when our light has been blown out, when we are ground beneath someone else's heel, I hope to remember we belong to a God who is faithful to restore us. We aren't invisible to Jesus or embarrassing to Jesus, nor are we unwelcome. I'll close with this story. Every Christmas for many years, my daughter would go up early and stay with my mother for a few days before we would come up. We always come up on Christmas Eve, and so for, for a few days before Christmas, my, my daughter would go up early. And this year, she was four years old, and we had decided to meet my mother in Muskogee at Walmart. So It was probably around the 21st, 22nd, so you can imagine it was in the evening, very busy time. My husband, Duffy, and I walked in and met my mother there, and we had a few shopping things to do, and and so we, we, we kind of just all split up. And so we began to shop, and as I got back to Duffy, I looked at him and I said, where's Angelia? Remember, she's four. He said, I don't know, I thought she was with you. I said, no. He goes, well, she's probably with your mother. So we caught up with my mother. This was to- the time before we didn't have cell phones. Finally, found mother in the store. And as I'm walking towards her, my heart is starting to palpitate because I realize that I don't see Angelia with her either. And I, I panic. I run to the store manager and I said, You need to help me find my little girl. I said, She's gone. And I don't know how long she's been gone. But she's been gone for quite a while and, and, and I don't know I don't know where to even start looking. So he immediately radioed and and locked the doors of Walmart. Sent four clerks outside to start looking in the parking lot, and we're in a panic. By now I'll I'll be honest with you, I'm in tears, and I'm scared to death. It was about ten to fifteen minutes, and I look down an aisle and I see a clerk holding Angelia's hand, walking towards me. And I ran. I ran as fast as I could run to her. And I swooped her up, and I picked her up, and I twirled her around, and I held her. And I was crying so hard. I was pretty hysterical. And she looked me in the eyes, smiling. She said, Mama, I would never leave you. I love you forever. My dear friends, that is what our Lord and Savior says to us today. My beloved children, I would never leave you. I love you forever. Amen. Let us sing Amazing Grace, verses 1, 2, and 6. The words are in your bulletin, and I'm sure that some of you know these words.